Hey, Dave, you ready? I'm ready, Richard. Well, this is exciting. So this is the first podcast of the podcast you and I are going to do. I am fired up. We don't have a name for our podcast yet. We'll figure that out as we go. Because um, <laughs> we're so organized. Because today's special guest is no one. It's just me and you today, Dave. We're creating a safe space for ourselves. A safe space in a new world. Um, all right, Dave, so you and I chatted before we started, and we're going to talk about what happens after the CSM class. Yes. So our students, what they'll do is you know, they'll pay us a bit of money. They'll come to our CSM class. They'll have a great time. They'll learn about Agile. They'll learn about Scrum. They'll walk out with a great baseline understanding of Agile and Scrum, walk out with a shared perspective, common terminology. They'll pass the exam. It'll be awesome, and they'll all be certified Scrum masters. Yeah? Yes. Now what? So in every class, I always climb up on a soapbox about a couple issues, and I'm going to share mine and see how you react to these. So these are things that I say are absolutely non-negotiable. There's one thing that I tell them, if you're not doing this, you can't be agile. And there are two things that I say, you have to do these. If you don't already have these in place and you want this to work, they're absolutely fundamental. Two things, fundamental. Yes. So the first thing- What? Go ahead. I said, whoa. Yes. And one of them isn't even Scrum. So I tell them, if you don't have a vision statement, that is the very first thing that you have to either create if you're a product owner or if you're a scrum master, work with your product owner to get them to create one. You have to have a vision statement because if you don't have a vision statement, the people on the teams who are solving problems don't have any context. So I think that that's really, really critical. And the second most important thing is you have to have a definition of done. It has to be documented and written down, and everyone has to know what it is. And in the class, it's always funny, because when I say, do you have a definition of done, people are like, well, some of them will be like, well, kind of. I'm like, having a definition of done is like smoking crack. You smoke crack or you don't smoke crack. You don't smoke crack sometimes on Saturday. If you have a definition of done, you have a definition of done. It has to be documented for everyone to know. So we can't just smoke crack on Saturday and say, you know what, let's just do it once a week. <laughs> if you did. smoke crack at all, you smoke crack. Right? Huh, I've never smoked crack, so I'm not sure. Um, although there's always a first time, I guess. Um, definition of done and vision statement. That, that makes a lot of sense. So give me an example where you've seen a team not have a vision statement or a strong one, and what happened? <laughs> so I'll tell you one. I work, I did an assessment at a music subscription company. Not Spotify, competitor of Spotify. Was it, was it? Master? I'm not going to say the name of it. I'm not going to say the name was of it. it I'm Apple? not going to say the name of it. But I went in, and so it's assessment, it right? So the first thing I do is I walk around and I ask people, what's your vision statement? So I walk up to this hipster 20-year-old, and I said, uh, hey, do you have a vision statement? And he turns around and looks up at me, and he goes, music, dude. And I was just like, oh, my God. That's awful. And I went into the product manager's office. The guy is responsible for the whole product. Um, and I said, do you have a vision statement? And he said, hold on, it's in a PowerPoint. And I just walked out. I'm like, I can't believe this is ridiculous. Like, how do you, how do, you do anything? Yeah, I'm with you on this. I, 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 I agree 100% on this. One of the things I used to do a lot, I used to do assessments. And when I do assessments, I go into organizations and I uh, will interview uh, the, the team, developers, Analysts, scrum masters, product owners, middle management, leadership, stakeholders, 
I interview all these folks, have conversations with them as be assessed, part of the assessment. And one of the things I always ask is, uh, you know, what's the purpose? What's the product vision? Why are we doing this? What's the goal? And what I found is if I get messaging that's very kind of um, aligned, that's very pointed, that's very clear where people are saying the same thing and everyone's on the same page, there's a direct correlation between that and things working well. When I go to places where the messaging is very kind of disparate, where it's different people saying different stuff, where it's very fragmented or it's unclear, unfocused, or if I hear team members say stuff like, why do I care? I'm just a tester. Why do I care? I'm just a developer. When I see stuff like that, there's a direct correlation between that and things not working well. It's one of my number one leading indicators. So I agree 100%. I think that's a great call is having that strong vision statement to make sure we're all aligned. Yeah, so let me tell you the, the, the best part. So I go into the president's office and I asked him for the vision statement and he spun around in his chair and he said, we're going to be the leading online destination that people recommend to their friends to join. And I kind of tilted my head to the side and looked at him like, what about music? And he said, I don't care about music. I need to get a lot of subscribers on board so we can sell this thing. Yeah. So what was really interesting was the kids out on the floor who were actually spending a lot of time curating a lot of detail about artists and things like that. That's great stuff if you're a music fan. But it's not going to drive this influx of traffic that's going to spike it and help them sell the company. So there was this mismatch there that even though it was a decent product – um, that was really concerning to me that it was so out of sync. Well, give me that give me that vision statement one more time. We're going to be the leading online destination that people recommend to their friends to join. You know, so you know what the problem with that vision statement is? Well, it's got a lot of problems, but it was <laughs> it's better than music, dude. <laughs> well, here's the problem with that is that you can take that vision statement and go to any website on the internet and that could be their vision statement. It's not pointed enough. It's right. like I think there's a disconnect between what that guy just said and what the team wants. And and that's a problem. Some of these vision statements are like we're gonna be the best we're gonna offer affordable uh state of the art solutions for our clients. Yeah. Right? That's a that's a useless vision statement. Well, you can't I'd say that you, yes. But I would also say that the, the level to which it was abstracted, like how, how it was not about music, that spoke volumes about the way that the leadership of the company looked at the company. Yeah. Um, I think that might be a good vision statement. It might be something that's kind of a good overarching thing for the whole organization that then we're going to – when you get to the product level, we boil down a bit. But even then, it's problematic. I think – you know. Like it's a problem. Yeah, yeah. But I would still say I, I still feel like any any statement at all is better than none. Any anything that that is more than just a one word answer. So have you seen the the um, I think it's the elevator pitch for positioning from I think it's from Jeffrey Morse crossing in the yeah. chasm. Yeah, I th- if you if you Google that uh, for those listening, you can find it out there. And I'm trying to remember the exact format. I don't have it on. I happen head, but... to know it, Richard. Okay, so it. Well, let me take a shot. Let me know if I'm right. So um, we have a product that – no. For, our product is this. For for these type of people, we have this product that does this thing. For uh, – Here's what it slow does. Slow down. For, for who for, the is God a – it. <laughs> I, I was about to walk us through it. You are stumbling around like a drunk man in a bar. I'm trying to remember it. But go ahead. For, for – so who's got the problem, right? Who, what is the problem? The, the name of the product, is a product category that, what it does, 
unlike how it's different from the competition. And then our product, which is where you put the summary statement about the promise of what it's going to do. Yeah. What I like about that, by the way, you should have let me go through because 10, 15 minutes from now, I would have got to it eventually. <laughs> um, what I like about though, it's very concise and short, yet it's very pointed too, right? Yeah. And so it allows us to kind of explore this. Um, if we can fill that out, that's a big win. So there's a um, trainer out in the UK, Roman Pischler, who uh, has a uh, book, Agile Product Management. If you go to his website, he has uh, great templates as well. So I think one of the templates he has that I really like a lot is the product vision board. That is a great template to allow you to kind of think through your uh, product vision. Yeah, I think I find in the class, at least in the PO class, we do um, the Jeffrey Moore version. And then after they create some beautiful vision statements and I mercilessly cut them to pieces. And then we switch over to Roman's tool. Um, and to, to me, it's always the thing that makes the vision work. It's sort of like user stories. It just has to go through many, many iterations to get something solid that you can work with. Yeah. No, I think that's great. In um, my class, I do something similar because I'll use – I show them both. What I do in my class is I, um, I show them the, the Jeffrey Moore's uh, elevator pitch, and I give them the uh, Roman Pichler template. And what I do is I give them about uh, 20, 30 minutes to come up with a uh, product vision, and I, usually around like maybe a mobile food app. And at the end, what they have to do is um, each team has to then pitch their idea, their idea Shark Tank style – um, using kind of the uh, templates to help them form their ideas, but then they have to sell their ideas to investors, so investors want to invest in their ideas. So, so what do you when you when they do it? What do you see the biggest problems being? Like, what are the most common problems people have with vision statements? Oh, oftentimes it's just trying to figure out, like, hey, you know, um, what's the value to the organization? Like, you know, hey, if we're going to sell this, like. What are we doing? Are we going to sell ad space? Are we going to sell subscription services? Or is it going to be a pay product? Oftentimes, that part isn't really that baked out yet. Um, but it's fine though, because what like I like what you said, Dave is is it allows them to kind of come up with these original these initial ideas, put some thought around it, and then kind of start talking about them so we can iterate through it and have other people point out, hey, how are we going to make money? Or hey, doesn't someone else already do this? Or hey, how is it different than this other product? Or, hey, why would anyone want this? Uh, <laughs> yes. So all that stuff I've asked before and allows them to kind of think through the strength of their ideas and potential gap areas in their ideas. And so they can come up with a very solid idea. Yeah. The thing I find in the in the multiple iterations is they often don't understand who their customer actually is. Like they have – I let them come up with any product they want. So they'll have an idea and it seems really cool, but – the person that they think they're building the app for isn't actually the person that would buy the app. Like if they say it's an app for a customer in a supermarket, but the the customer in the supermarket's not going to buy the app, the supermarket's going to buy the app. Yeah. You bring so, up a great point that we talk about in our training class too is, is um, these personas. Oftentimes you have a buyer persona and an end user persona, persona and that may or may not be the same person. Yes. Yeah. I think that, and yeah, getting clarity on that's a really big deal. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that happens a lot, right? I, I, there's one client I work with that's, um, they create, um, software for the car dealerships and, uh, the people that buy the, the software are the car dealership owners, Yeah, but the people that use it are the salesmen. And the thing is you have to appeal to them two different ways. Um, and 
as a product manager, as a product owner, I have to recognize that. And um, and so what we usually see, we, what we talk about in the product owner course, is oftentimes you have the Scrum team, right? That is the Scrum Master, Product Owner, and Scrum Development team. What their primary focus usually is building solutions for the end users to make it usable. But then oftentimes on, with that, you have a product team that's like marketing, sales, the product owner, product manager, that hopefully works pretty closely with the Scrum team. Yeah, And they're focused on kind of that buyer persona. And so they'll be putting kind of marketing and packaging and identifying features that buyers will, will want to buy. But the team members will be focusing on usability and features that end user will want to use. And in the class, we kind of talk about the understanding all sides of that. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, and the more you talk about it, the more clarity you get. I, I feel like it's Creating the thing is important. The conversations that are used to create it are where you get the most value because it helps everybody get in sync. Yeah, I think this is all a great kind of plug or segue, though. So we started off with the CSM course, which is great in terms of the execution. But this vision stuff, I just touch upon it very, very lightly in the CSM. This is really CSPO stuff, the, the product and our courses that do a much deeper dive at this layer. Yeah, and I, I do it in both because what I tell the CSMs is it's your job to teach this to the PO if they don't know it. Um, but as long as they end up with one, I think that's good. Yeah, uh, I recommend that if you're a Scrum Master, uh, for sure go to the Product Owner course because everything that goes on there, you have to do a deeper dive in it. So what I do is I don't talk about the CSM because there's other stuff. Like It's only a two-day course. If I had a week, I would 100% do it. But in the two days, what I tell them is, hey, here's this stuff at the team level. If you're going to be a Scrum Master, come to the Product Owner course because we do a deep dive there just so that I can kind of um, – Really maximize the time in both. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot to do in two days. But what do you think about definition of done? Do you consider oh. that to be absolutely fundamentally important? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think um, it's interesting because when you talk about Scrum, uh, those that do it, those that are really intimate with it, understand the importance of definition of done. And, and those that only have a very high level understanding and knowledge of it, oftentimes just aren't as familiar with what the concept is. But I 100% believe that to build high quality products, um, that definition then has to be there. I'm with you. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people make assumptions about it. They assume that they're all on the same page, um, but but they're not, or or they don't even have awareness of the fact that maybe their definition of done and definition of potentially shippable are out of sync. Yeah, Dave. And uh, before we go any further, do you want to explain to the those listening that aren't familiar with what definition done means, what what it is? Sure. Well, I'll talk about it in the way that uh, Yuka Lindstrom explained to me that he actually works on works with on creating one with people. So, definition of done is how um, everyone in the organization should know that a piece of work is complete. And if you wanted to say at a very fundamental level, like a story, you could say if it meets the acceptance criteria, the team could consider it done. If it's passing testing, and they could bring it to the PO. Um, but what what most of the organizations I've worked with find is that that's not really enough. The team has to have clarity on what things must be true before they bring it to the PO, what things must be true before it's released. And the way that I tend to think about this is like one of those movies where they have like a NASA rocket launch and there's all those stations in the flight center that have to say go or no go before release. Um, So you want to make a list of everything that must be true. And the way that Yuka Lindstrom explained that he does it to with clients is first he goes through and they make the list of everything that must be true before something can be released. So it's not enough to just say QA. You have to talk about all the different types of QA. 
um, every single box that would have to be checked. And, and the list can be pretty exhaustive because there's not really any harm in putting too much in there. Once you have that list, you go through it again and you mark off the things that don't happen in a sprint. So however long your sprints are, like if the legal review doesn't happen in a sprint or doesn't normally happen in a sprint, then you want to mark that off because that would tell you that you might have a difference between something that is done and potentially shippable. When you walk into the sprint review and you say to the stakeholders, hey, this thing is done, you want everybody in that room to have clarity on whether that means we can ship this right now or as I had in one case, um, done meant we could send it off to India for integration testing, which was going to take three weeks. So two sprints from now, we're going to get back a bunch of bugs. And we had to have that clarity so that there was an expectation or an understanding of what we meant when we said, this is ready for you to look at it. Yeah, I think, uh, I agree with you. I think all that stuff is critical. I was working with a small startup in DC. So the product owner came in one day and said, hey team, we need to go live. And so the team said, okay, so we need about the four weeks to go live. The product owner said, no, we need to go live like this week, like today or tomorrow. Team said, can't, we need four weeks to go live. Product owner said, what are you guys doing? We're doing Scrum. It means potentially shippable software. Go live now. Team said, yeah, potentially shippable. It takes us four weeks to go from potentially shippable to truly shippable, right? At which point they had a big kind of, um, you know, blot over it. If we had definition done, what we'd understand is a better understanding of that, meaning that at the end of each sprint, right, here's what we mean when we say done. But what happens is before we go live, there's a bit of undone work that we need to be aware of that's undone work, right? That still needs to happen before we go live. Um, if we understand that, then we can do things about it going forward. Stuff like maybe maybe they don't, they don't have great uh, automation testing, and so there's a lot of regression that still needs to happen before they go live. Maybe they have to do a big security scan before they go live. Maybe a legal review has to happen before they go live. All that stuff we want to make sure that we're, everyone understands, that we document. And over time, hopefully, we can reduce that as we get better with things. But we want to make sure that we understand uh, are on the same page on that. Um, and then going forward, like I said, we want to get better about uh, removing some of this undone work into the sprints. Yeah, I feel like we have to add one thing. So when I first started teaching, I was teaching a class with Michelle Slager. And I talked about done and done done, and she lit me up in the class um, because there's only supposed to be one done, and it's supposed to be potentially shippable. So just so that if you're listening, you have clarity on this, done is supposed to equal potentially shippable. You're supposed to have shippable product at the end of each sprint. But if the reality of your situation is that that's just not possible or just isn't happening, then it's it's important to have clarity on that for everybody. Yeah, and I think – so I agree with you, but I think we need to change the messaging because I think to be too dogmatic to say that just doesn't reflect the reality that people have to understand is happening now because what here's what I here's what I don't want. I don't want them going in day one saying Scrum says it has to be this way, so let's just make our definition of done this when they know 100% for a fact they can't achieve that yet. Right. right. You have to be transparent and open yeah. about it. So. Day one, when they create their definition done, it's not the ideal state. It's your current reality, and what you want to be doing over time is improving that reality. Yeah, right? like added, I, adding automated testing and things like that. Absolutely, and I think we have to teach it that way because if we teach them – I've seen trainers say, well, if you can't do the ideal state, you're not doing Scrum. 
right? The problem with that is people will leave dejected and say, I guess we can't do scrum, right? And then all of a sudden they just give up. And so, well, what or, I teach, or they do their hybrid. <laughs> well, yeah. Their that's bastardized right? version of half ass scrum. Here's the way we teach it. It's not half. It, here's the thing, Dave. It's not half ass. What I talk about in class is that everywhere is on a spectrum where no one's doing anything perfectly, right? What you have to understand is where, where are we honestly today, right? And we know there's an ideal state we want to achieve. So what we need to do is just start working towards there. Right. Yeah, I I agree. When I said when I said that I was being sarcastic, but the whole my issue with companies that decide to skirt some of the rules is the ones that just decide, oh, we're not going to do that without even trying it. Um, they yeah, just decide think, they're smarter than than all the thousands of people that have figured out how to make it work. Yeah, I think that's a great point too. Is that where you are today? It's where you are today, but we got to be getting better. And we're, when we make these updates, um, just because something is one way now doesn't mean you have to live like that forever, right? Yeah. That's and a so, hard thing for people to see, though, I think. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that people have to understand coming out of the class, um, here's what I see. There are some folks that will say stuff like this. Well, this will never work here because of this. This yeah. will never work here because of that. We're special because of this, so this type of stuff will never work. Those type of people, they have a much bigger barrier to entry to success, right? Their mentality they already come in with an attitude of failure. I see some people say, huh, you know, that's a real interesting perspective. Here are the challenges we have to doing that, but here are some thoughts I have on how we can address those challenges, or here's some things I want to try to address those challenges, right? Everyone has challenges in front of them. And uh, I think this is actually covered in that, that um, Seven Habits of Successful People book. I think they talk about this, is you can view your challenges as things that are going to prevent you from succeeding, or you can view your challenges as just that, the challenges you have to understand on your path to success. Yeah. Right? And I think, I mean, I've been I've been like waist deep in uh, all these different podcasts, Tim Ferriss and um, a bunch of stuff on health and fitness and, and kind of um, business stuff. And the one common factor I hear from people is, you know, how to overcome things, right? Uh, and how to kind of make sure we understand that everything in front of us is in front of us. Right. But no matter what it is, there's someone that's kind of overcome it. There's some way to get around it. Some of it's just going to be really hard. Some of it's going to be easier. We just have to understand that. Well, I think, I think it's, yeah, I agree with you. I think that there's also a lot of walls that people put up in front of themselves that they build themselves. Like the people, they say, well, we can't do scrum because we do fixed bid projects. Well, yeah, you can. You just decided that you can't, or, or you're, you've decided that accounting won't let you do work by the quarter or whatever. It's, it's sort of like what you said. It's not, we can't, but it's how. How do I hack the system to get this to work? Yeah. And I, you know what? Here's, if we could change that, if we can change that perspective, right? Um, I think that's great. That's what also why when I teach these classes, what one of the dyna- dynamics I like, especially in the private classes, um, is that there are, uh, hopefully in the room, some of those can-do people, right? And so when someone in an organization says, well, that'll never work here because of this, someone else will say, excuse me, uh, yeah, that's not true. Uh, we've tried this, and here's how we've overcome it, right? We understand this, but here's what we think we can do about it. And so it's much more powerful if another student says that than me, like, you know, I don't want to be the ivory tower guy saying it. I want it to come from people that are doing it. I, I've been in situations. Oh, go ahead. No, you finish your thing. Oh, 
Yeah, no. So I, I want it to be for people that have been in these situations. That I've seen it work well in organizations. Uh, but if I'm doing a private class, uh, I think it's really powerful for their colleagues to give them that. Yeah, if messaging. it comes from within. Now, what about the process in general? So I mentioned in the beginning that there's one thing that I tell everyone they cannot skip. Is there any any aspect of the, of Scrum that you would tell your CSM or CSPO students like this is non negotiable? You have to do this. So. Uh, yeah, I agree with the product vision part. I'll even take it down one step further in that I think you need a, a product roadmap. Uh, let's oh, say for wow. next okay. year. For next year, for each quarter, here are some major things I want to target each quarter. The reason why is uh, as a team, I don't want to be flying blind. I want to know that at a high level, here's what's coming up. Because, for example, uh, I'll often have arguments with, let's say, um, data modelers, and they'll say, I have to do all the data models now, otherwise I'll box myself in the corner. Right? My reply is, well, you know how you end up boxing yourself in the corner is by doing all the data models now. <laughs> with, That's good. Yeah, well, with that said, though, I know where they're coming from. Is uh, It's really hard to be, uh, build piecemeal if I don't know what's coming. And so what I want is at a high level understanding for this quarter, here's at a high level what we're doing. Next quarter, at a high level, here's what we're doing. After that, after that. And so I'm not going to build all my data objects now, but the stuff down, whatever I build now will be open and extensible to support that stuff going forward, right? Yeah. Because if I don't know what's coming forward, then like I'm building blind. And so I think uh, a product roadmap is great. So I'll write the requirements uh, basically with, with an, the needs for now with an eye towards tomorrow. I do my design for now with an eye towards tomorrow. I build my implementation, my test plans. Everything we're doing right now as a team together is kind of building it at the increment level, but I have the whole vision and roadmap in mind as I'm building it. So I don't over-design. It's not big upfront design, but it's smart just design. Enough. Yeah, just enough with an eye towards the future. Yeah. So you're not getting fed this stuff piecemeal. Also, this guarantees that the product owner isn't just making stuff up as they go, that strategically we kind of know what we're doing at, this, at the um, high level, and so we're not flying blind. Now, yeah. that stuff might change. We might learn stuff that changes it, which is fair. But we're not just taking shots in the dark, uh, just like, you know, following our nose, going ad hoc. Yeah. In Roman's new book, Strategize, he actually um, – he's got the new tools in there, all the, all the Canvas tools. But um, – He's added a, a sixth layer. So there's, you know, we would normally say there's five levels of agile planning, vision, roadmap, release, sprint, and daily. He's got strategy in there as well, um, which is an interesting kind of addition in that you've got to make sure that everything is still in sync with the company strategy, um, which I thought was pretty powerful. So I would encourage folks to check that out if you get a chance. Yeah, I think that's great. So my non-negotiable is the retrospective. Um, what I what I always tell people is if you are skipping a retrospective, you're you're not only not doing Scrum, you're walking away from the ability to be agile. And and to me, it's really important that the students understand the difference between a retrospective and a postmortem or a project review coming out of the traditional approach to project management. Um, the the first difference I see is that one people actually do retrospectives. Most of the projects that I've been on that are traditional, we always say we're going to do a project review or a ret or a postmortem at the end, but we only do them if things have burned down so badly that we need to hang somebody. Um, and most of the people are assigned to new projects before we even get there anyway. 
So having a regular retrospective at the end of each sprint, or if you're doing something like Kanban, regularly scheduled retrospectives is, is the most important element in my perspective, my opinion, most important element to finding a way for the team to continually get better. Um, and if you take that out of the equation, it's just none of it's going to work. Yeah, I agree with you there too. I think it's um, Scrum inherently cheats in that if there's something we don't like, fix it, right? If we, if we feel like we're not doing planning well, fix it. If we feel like we're not self-organizing well, fix it. If we feel like the estimation process isn't working for us, fix it, right? And that's what the retrospective allows us to do. So when people say they don't like something about Scrum, fix it, right? Yeah. So that's what that's that's it. Are you Facebook friends with uh, Alistair Coburn? I don't know if I am. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, though. Oh, uh, yeah. You should you should uh, friend him. He um, posted something today um, about um, a big aha for a moment from him. One of the classes was he had someone say, "Ditch the retrospective. It's too past focused and too structured for envisioning futures." So I need to kind of do a deeper dive into what that really means. Um, because I don't think we should ditch retrospective. Uh, I do think that teams need to, um, if you've been around quite a while as a scrum team, uh, it may be something that starts getting to be a bit uh, stale and dated. And so we got to figure out a way to keep it um, valuable and engaging. Uh, but I agree that um, we have, to, I mean, I agree that without that, um, how do we get better? Yeah, I always feel like the people that want to ditch the retrospective, they're just not doing retrospectives well. They have to change things up. I mean, it might get stale. You might need a different technique or different questions, but yeah. to, to not take the time to, to look at what you're doing. I mean, if you're giving up on inspecting and adapting, how can you do yeah. that and still say you're agile? Yeah. No, I was, um, I was talking to a student and she said, uh, we, um, we're talking about daily scrum and she said, yeah, our daily scrum is like 45 minutes long you know, each time. I'm like, oh no. And I said, how long has that been going on? She said, two years. Oh, my God. And I said, whoa, two years. Uh, next question is, hey, do you have a Scrum Master? And she said, yeah, kind of. And so that's the difference between, yes, we have a Scrum Master, and yeah, kind of. Right. It is two years worth of 45 minutes uh, daily scrums. Because if the first couple times we have a 45-minute daily scrum, as a Scrum Master, I need to make sure that the team is understanding that, hey, this is a problem for us, right? And my job isn't to tell them it's a problem, but my job in that retrospective is help facilitate it so they, they see that this is a problem, right? And then they start talking about how they're going to fix it. What, what should we do to kind of, you know, what, what kind of issues is this causing for us and what can we do about this going forward? Yeah, I think it's it's really important to take that time. And, and it's a shame, I think, when, when folks don't take that time. And to the person who's doing the 45-minute daily stand-up, stop. <laughs> There's no reason. For that ever, that wasn't yeah, very well, it wasn't very sympathetic. But I don't ever understand that. Here, it's only a problem if people think it's a problem. It's not a problem if no one feels like it's a problem. If the whole team says, "Well, we do forty-five minute daily scrums," it's not a problem for us. Well, then, all right, it's not a problem for you. All um, right, I, I can't. I, I'm still up on the porch. <laughs> I want these kids off my lawn. Fifteen minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm with you. It should be 15 minutes, um, but if they don't see an issue, you can't fix something that's not a problem 
right? You can tell me it's a problem, but if I don't agree it's a problem, I'll never fix it. But that's right? time that could be spent developing something that would deliver value for a customer. And I think it's it's a shame to waste that much time every oh, day. I don't agree. I don't disagree with that, Dave. However, until the team self-realizes that, it won't be fixed, right? And so until the team realizes, like an alcoholic, right? An alcoholic will never stop drinking unless they lose their job and lose their family until they realize that, hey, I got to do something about this. Until a team kind of takes ownership of an issue, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's going to be hard to. Well, that, yeah. Find. And I guess it makes the case for why they need the scrum master to come in and do the intervention. To, yeah, it's to help <laughs> them see the problems there. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. Cool. All right. So. What if folks want to get in touch with you after the podcast, Richard? How can they do that? So you can uh, reach me via Twitter at Richard K. Chang, C-H-E-N-G, or email me, Richard.C-H-E-N-G at E-X-C-E-L-L-A.com. I work for Excel Consulting based here in the D.C. area. All this information will be in the um, show notes on the uh, iTunes and on the uh, website as well. Yep, and I'm on Dave, how about I'm, you? I'm on Twitter at uh, Mr. Sungo. It's M R S U N G O. Uh, I work for Leading Agile, and so you can contact me there. Or I have a blog, which is mostly podcasts, which is drunkenpm.blogspot.com. So thanks for listening. We're going to keep doing these and keep getting them better. So if you've got questions or issues, please let us know, and we'll try to yeah. get those up in a podcast. And by next podcast, hopefully, we'll have a podcast name set up too. That'd be great. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Bye.